We always say seat time is king, so sit on down and listen in to Motorsports Tech Talk with your hosts, Brian and Eric. Eric, how's it going? Doing good, Brian. Did you know that the racing season has officially started? I think... I think I I did know that. I think hopefully all our li- all of our listeners know that too because we uploaded a podcast earlier uh, last week about the racing season. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not talking about some prototype challenge race. I'm talking about the 24 hours of Daytona that just finished. Oh, the big boys, yeah, the big boys, the WeatherTech series. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a good race. It was, it was it was really long, you know. It was like twenty four hours long or something. Yeah, it's weird. I think it was yeah. in the name, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like a yeah something about Rolexes and I don't know, but yeah, uh, who knows? But yeah, it was uh, the they had a uh, very good weather this year. Uh, no no rain as far as I could tell. That's decent weather. It's always but uh, it's always nice. The race started off pretty silly. I can't even really say started off. Let's just be blunt. The BMW hit the Porsche before they took the green flag. Yep. Yep. <laughs> they hadn't cross checkered. Yep. The race hadn't officially started and they took out a car. Yeah, that was a that was a little funky. Uh they they were talking about it later. Uh supposedly like which seems like a weird rule. So supposedly, the green flag means nothing, which it's it's weird. So the the leader the, controls the pace. Yeah, that's correct. Green flag drops, and then you have to wait until the leader crosses start finish. Yeah. So, but I, I just I feel like that's a weird. I guess coming from you know like Champ Car and uh nasa like that's you, as soon as you see the flag that means go and regardless of if the guy in front hasn't started moving or hasn't started accelerating yet you're you're going right so yeah it's i mean i i get it but also i don't know so so supposedly the uh, at least from like interviews later in the the, the the spotter comes over the radio to the bmw driver and is green 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 so he just guns it without really, I guess, looking in front of them. <laughs> uh, and I mean, obviously, these are fast cars. If I did this in the Miata, like, it, you know, going full throttle Miata isn't very noticeable from from going part throttle right down the straight. Yeah, you wouldn't have rear-ended anybody. No, no, it would have taken a couple seconds to get close to rear-ending someone. Yes. Um, whereas, you know, the, the, those cars have a lot more horsepower, but. But still, uh, yeah, he just kind of gunned it, and then no one else gunned it. And I guess he—I think he could have—he—he he, he got to the point where he could have maybe braked or just tried to jump out to avoid. And he just kind of chose the jump out to avoid, but it was too late at that point, and just yeah, it wasn't enough. Smoked the back of him. So yeah, that caused the Porsche to lose several laps. Uh, in repairing and also caused the first caution not from that initial hit but uh from the bumper flying off because from the damage so yeah i mean the porsche stayed out uh i mean i guess as you should maybe should's the wrong word but as i would right like if it's it's not broken yet i'm not gonna come into the pits right unless i need to um you know i mean uh with these races, getting off the lead lap is really what hurts you. 
Um, yeah. So I wouldn't come in the pits unless I really needed to. So, you know, uh, I would do the same thing as the Porsche. Um, but it does raise a, a weird note that, um, so the BMW got a drive-through penalty, right? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And yet the Porsche was further down, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as you do, right? It takes longer to repair something than to just drive past your pits and wave at everybody. Yep. Um, but so it's interesting to note the guy who got rear-ended uh, suffered more than the guy who did the rear-ending. Yep. Unfortunately, that's kind of how it goes. Like, yeah, the, yeah. the guy gets a slap on the wrist and, you know, a penalty, which in a 24-hour race, they can make it up, you know, pretty easily. Right. Yeah, as long um, as you stay on that lead lap. You know. Yeah, it was, it was funny specifically how that one unfolded. Basically, as soon as he served the penalty and then the bumper went flying off of the Porsche right after. And then so the caution immediately came out. So he was right back behind the, the pack. Yeah, there was very little detriment in that case. So, yeah, so it, was, uh, it was like it didn't happen. <laughs> pro tip, play bumper cars, apparently. Yeah. If you hurt them more than they hurt you, you're going to come out ahead. So. Yeah, especially when the class is only six cars. It's everyone you take, every every guy you tackle is, uh, you know, it's going to be beneficial to you. Significantly. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it's a, also a pro tip to the uh, manufacturers to put, like, big bash bars on their car, at least <laughs> make their fronts really rigid. So they, just at the start of races, you can accidentally punt people accidentally, you know. Right. Yeah. Air quotes there. <laughs> Get rid of those silly ballast plates you have and just add reinforcement to your bumper when you get BOP'd. That's, yep. that's the real key. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, yeah, so GTLM got to a, off to a pretty rough start. Uh, fortunately, it looked like, for the most part, everyone kind of was able to avoid all the GTD cars behind, uh, avoid the spin. Uh, but I think also the Ferrari got a little damage from that, too. So it was like in one move, the BMW kind of hurt two cars. Um, yeah. One more than the other. But, uh, but I mean, hey, yeah. so then, you know, that that's not only is that two cars, but that's the two other manufacturers, right? Yeah. So if you put both <laughs> of them back, it's like, well, it's BMW and Corvette. And even if BMW pretending that the Porsche and the Ferrari couldn't make it up, uh, I mean that gives them a guaranteed podium. I'm not inferring yeah. they did it on purpose. Like I'm just, uh, you know, that's that's the way it works out, right? So. Yep. Yeah. So. It's uh yeah it's it it kind of yeah it set the stage for a well for basically a Corvette runaway for the most part. <laughs> Um, the BMWs didn't seem to have at least the, the kind of full stint pace. They would, they'd be usually pretty quick at the beginning of the stint and then just kind of would fall off. Yeah. Um, and the, the Corvettes were just very strong all weekend. They basically, they'd get reeled back in every caution and then they would just kind of drive away to the tune of like 10 to 20 seconds between cautions. And it, right. it looked like they, it, it had, they had it in the bag, um, uh, but there, there was a few times towards the end where they were challenged. Uh, the BMW kind of tried some short fueling strategies. Uh, 
mm-hmm. to get ahead, but ultimately just didn't have enough pace to stay ahead. Uh, and then the Ferrari at the very end, he uh, they just tried to gamble on on getting a yellow uh, to extend their last stint, and just never got it. So they also ended up uh, because of that. They ended up in. Um, I believe they ended up in fifth behind the BMWs. Uh, uh, no, sorry, fourth. So between the two BMWs. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So it ended up ultimately for GTLM. We ended up Corvette, Corvette one two, mm-hmm. um, with the three car ahead of the four, and then uh, and then the twenty four BMW, the Ferrari, the Risi Ferrari, and then the other BMW, and then. Finally, the Porsche that finished several laps down. Um, yeah. So that one maybe wasn't as exciting. Probably maybe the least exciting of the all the classes, especially because I mean the, all the excitement was kind of at the start and then. Right. Yeah, and then <laughs> they're spread out. You know, it's already kind of a small field. Um, yeah. You know, anybody who's paying attention, they're going to GTD Pro next year, so they're getting mm-hmm. rid of the class because it's a small field. Um, yeah, there's going to be GTD as it is now, and then GTD Pro, which is just pro drivers. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it already starts as a small field, and then half your competition takes each other out, and it's, <laughs> it just sets the stage, you know. Um, yeah, and then and then going forward, uh, BMW is really only committed to the uh, endurance races, so like Sebring, Watkins Glen. Mm-hmm. Uh, road Atlanta, so they're re- they're only running the Enduros. Uh, Reese hasn't confirmed any additional dates past the twenty four, so I guess we'll have to keep a lookout for that. With if if that's the case, I wouldn't expect them outside of the Enduros as well. I, I don't think they would just surprise everyone with a full season effort. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think they would. So yeah, if they're doing more, gonna, it's probably just the Enduros. Yeah, and it might even just be just some of the Enduros too. So, but mm-hmm. hopefully they they come out because it'd be nice to get more in that class. And then, um, so that leaves the WeatherTech Racing Porsche and the two Corvettes as the two or the three full season entries. So, right, automatic podiums for everyone. Hooray! Everybody gets a trophy, <laughs> except that the Enduros, yeah, not automatic. No, but. But that's that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's that's how things work now. Everybody gets yeah. a trophy. Yeah. Um, but interesting note, uh, with that class of three cars, the Porsche is going to be the only one that has a silver driver. Yes. Yeah. They have Cooper McNeil of, uh, of the, the WeatherTech dynasty. Um, he, he is one of the drivers. I believe he's going to be one of the full season drivers. So he'll be joined by, I'm not sure which one yet, but one of the Porsche factory drivers. So, so yeah, it'll be, it's, it's not common to see a, you know, quote unquote non-pro uh, in, uh, just at least by rating in, in, in that class. Um, but he'll be, yep, he'll be racing with them all season. And then, uh, supposedly also at Lama in in a GTE Pro Porsche so oh buddy so yeah um but yeah so that could that could definitely hurt them a little bit if uh, assuming if he's you know even a little bit off the pace from the the factory drivers so right that'll be something to look out for maybe they'll 
you know, have them start the races and then try to have the, the pro finish it. So, uh, yeah, it wouldn't be such a bad, probably the best approach they can have, you know? Yeah. So I guess it's, it's been seen before to have pro or non pros in a pro class, but that's more, uh, it's more been, it's been more common in DPI. Like over the years, there was the, the core autosport car that was, uh, John Bennett driving, um, at least uh one of the cars Mm -hmm. and uh and so it's it's happened but uh maybe not in gte or gtlm it's not very common so it looks like maybe they're trying to take advantage of those uh low car counts to try to get some good results um which you know more power to them right why not if you can do it go for it yeah yeah so I guess moving moving from GTLM, we can go to the other GT class, which is the has the most entries. Yeah, uh, GTD. GTD. So usually, uh, I mean, GTD usually doesn't disappoint for some uh, some good action. Right. Um, and uh, I don't think they they did disappoint. Uh, the end, there wasn't as much action as you'd like to see. A lot of years, it's like. Uh, so many times it's been like someone runs out of fuel like at the la- on the last lap because like everyone's pushing the strategy and everything and um, this year it was it was kind of a quiet end uh, I think the top five basically didn't change from for the last like hour at least um, but yeah it ended up being uh, the Mercedes of Windward Racing which I believe is their debut for WeatherTech series. Um, yeah, they, they came in straight in for the win. So that's pretty impressive. Um, I, I, I guess, I don't know. I know when Word was racing a GT three car before I've seen it. I just don't remember where they've, they've raced GT three cars in a SRO in okay. a world challenge. And then they've also raced, uh, I believe GT four cars in, in the pilots, the Michelin pilot series. So, yeah, yeah, I know. I know they've definitely been in the uh, GT4 class, um, and yeah. I know that I've seen their GT3 cars. Um, yeah. So, but but yeah, this is their I guess their first time making the move to. My understanding is the first time making the move to WeatherTech. So, pretty good. Uh, pretty good start, and it looked like the Mercedes were pretty strong because uh, second was also a Mercedes, the Sun Energy One team. Um, they also. Uh, I, they've, I believe they've raced in, uh, weather tech before, but, uh, maybe this was a kind of a return after a few years. Uh, but, but yeah, both of them had some factory drivers in there, Mauro Angle and Lucas Stoltz, as well as, uh, Raffaele Marcello, uh, all super fast guys. And, uh, yeah. and then their, their AMs were able to keep up the pace too. So that's what, that's what you got to do. Right. Yeah, I mean, we can... It's important for the AM to... You know, they, they can be a little bit off the pace of the pro. Um, but uh, just due to the nature of how IMSA operates, uh, you know, the yellows will bunch cars back up. But if you get off that lead lap, you know, as we've already mentioned or alluded to, it's it's a problem. So... Yeah. Um, you know, it still worked for the M, right? Because over two hours or whatever, um, all those laps add up. So it's, it's, 
easy or it can be easy to fall behind. Um, so, you know, good job to, to those guys. Yep. Yeah. And then we had the, uh, the Palmola racing Lamborghini in third, uh, the, uh, Porsche Wright Motorsports in fourth. Uh, and fifth, we had Harder Racing Aston Martin. So, so yeah, a couple couple different manufacturers in there. Yeah, I mean, a good variety outside of that Mercedes. Yeah, you know. Um, and yeah, that the the Wright Motorsports team had a seems like a last minute change. I don't know how last minute it was, but uh, I know Trent was in there and he wasn't initially intending to be. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I believe he was. So. That's that's interesting, and it's always worked for a driver to come up to speed like that. Yeah, I believe he was a replacement for uh, Hardwick, uh, who was originally supposed to be in that car. I think he had uh, they ha- he he had an incident where I think they were just they were worried that there could have been a concussion. I forget if it was because he also races in Pilot Challenge, so. Uh, so I don't know if it was in practice or during the uh, pilot challenge practice or the pilot challenge race, but basically they had to bring in, they brought in Trent kind of last minute to fill a spot and, mm-hmm. and still, and they ended up with a pretty good finish. So that's right. It's good to see. Um, uh, but yeah, otherwise uh, there was, there was one incident kind of a uh, big, big incident with, um, I believe it was the 21 AF Corsa car, uh, basically the, the car, the, the, the windward Mercedes and, and them got together, uh, going into one. And it was, uh, it was, it was, they, they ended up ruling it a racing incident and no one got penalty penalized, but the Ferrari definitely ended up the loser of the two. Cause they, uh, ended up hitting the tires and had some minor damage, but enough that they come in and, kind of tape it up, fix it up. And they had a flat too. So they had a slow lap around to get back around. So okay, know, they, they ended up finishing, but yeah, it was basically the Ferrari was passing, passing the Mercedes, uh, tried to kind of did an outside move, but mm-hmm. didn't have full, didn't have full, the, the, didn't fully get by and kind of squeeze the Mercedes onto the inside grass, which kind of, uh, caused him to, uh, get a little loose and then ended up tagging, uh, tagging the Ferrari, which kind of sent them both into a spin. Uh, but then the Mercedes was fine. So, you know, it's, I mean, he, 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 I think he squeezed the Mercedes a little too much, but at the same time, the Mercedes could have kind of backed out of it at that point. I think there were still several hours to go. So like maybe not too, you know, that's always the strange thing with, uh, like endurance racing, right? His, um, yeah. You know, you see what would generally be pictured as one person being too aggressive. Um, but then you throw in the the concept of, hey, it's a long race. You don't need to take risks. So now you're looking at the other driver. And truly, it does take two to tango. But, you know, it always throws the endurance races, um, even at the, um, you know, crap can level. Um I guess always throw more skepticism at that, that second driver, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that they tangled and, you know, 
someone's going to come out like uh, you know, I was always going to be a winner and a loser in the, in those kind of collisions but yeah it just it turned out to be the one kind of making the pass but mm-hmm. yeah I think it could have gone either way it was just you know it was just a racing incident right but yeah but yeah, yeah so that that was kind of I think if that wouldn't have happened I think it would have been a much tighter race at the front there between those two cars towards the end but uh, but you know it's that's racing for you <laughs> right yeah it happens so yeah, and then uh, uh, GRT Grasser Racing, uh, usually up towards the front. I think they won two of the last three, at least before this year, and both cars had uh, pretty big issues. They they both had failures pretty early. Um, one of them had a, it looked like an engine failure, lot, lots of fire coming out of the back. Uh, and then uh, the other car, I'm not sure what happened, but think had I might have actually had a similar failure but they they barely made it past the uh, 12 hour mark at least the uh the 111 car and the 19 only did about 6 hours so that's you know it's sometimes it's it's just crazy it seems like a similar thing happened with uh DPI where the both of the I guess the the Whalen engineering and the uh Mustang sampling which I believe are both JDC Miller run cars um both of those cars had issues and like multiple issues and 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 didn't end up finishing very well i think they both ended up finishing but just not uh well and it's just it's weird to see when a when a team brings multiple cars and all of them just have issues it's just is it the luck of the draw or just uh, did they both miss something at you know for both cars right do you know uh did, do you know the cause of that fire you mentioned? Uh, no, I mean, it just looked like it, it was just like a kind of fire coming out the exhaust. It didn't, the car didn't actually oh, okay. burn, okay. fortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it looked like you tried to restart it and it just like, just spit. It must have shot just oil out of it, like out of the exhaust or something. Cause it was just kind of a quick exhaust fire and then it was gone. But okay. Yeah. But yeah, it could have could have been a couple things, but it was definitely very catastrophic. Uh, yeah, that's never good. So, so yeah, but but yeah, I mean that gets us through the the GT cars, the uh, prototypes. I guess starting now from the uh, LMP3 and working our way up. Uh, so LMP3 was new, new for this year. Yep. Um, and, uh, there was, there was some concerns, I think by the GT drivers that they, they would be kind of in the way, but it, it looked like it worked out pretty well. The GT LM cars were faster on the straight, so it was pretty easy for them to get by when they needed to. And then for the most part, the, they, they were able to outpace the, the LMP3 cars were able to outpace the GTD cars. So they all, they all kind of slotted in pretty nicely. Um, so that was good to see. And there weren't really, I mean, there was a lot of cautions at the beginning of the race, but once it calmed down, then it kind of, everyone kind of settled in and it was a lot cleaner. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately Riley Motorsports ended up taking the win. Um, it's always, always good to see. They, you know, they've, they brought two cars and obviously they've been around for a long time. So uh, taking a win in a new class is always good to see. Um and then we had Sean Creech Motorsport in second. Um, 
I'm not too familiar with them. Yeah, it's a new uh, name. And then, and then Mjolnir Motorsports America, who who had won the prototype challenge race as well as the qualifying race, uh, they finished third. So uh, it looked like they may, might have had some kind of early issues and were, were somewhat recovering, but just it wasn't enough um, uh, to, to make it back. Uh, one thing I thought was uh, interesting was there was a... Uh, specifically for LMP3, there's a mandatory eight-minute uh, pit stop in order to change the, out the braking components. So basically, mainly, I guess, pads and rotors. But um, but some teams elected to do that pretty early. I think, I forget which car it was. Um, I think it was... They ended up, didn't end up finishing well, um, but it's, I think it was the 52 car. Uh the pier one Matthias and I believe it was them. And they, they came in like uh, seven hours in or so and, and did it. But I believe they said they were having some breaking issues up to that point. So huh. I guess they thought yeah, that's just uh, maybe try to change it out and make, hopefully make, uh, makes, uh, make it better. So yeah. uh, they didn't finish well. So I don't know if ultimately uh, yeah, they didn't finish the race. So I'm not sure if that's what did it, but <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, other teams kind of did it halfway. So, um, yeah. And, uh, I believe the, my understanding was the reason they did this cause they just didn't want teams to really have to update these cars. They could keep them the, the homologated spec. They didn't want them to have to add dry brake, uh, brake lines and all the other fancy stuff. So, right. um, yeah, it was, and, and eight minutes was plenty of time for them to do it. Th- I, I watched one team do the change, and I think they were done like probably six minutes in or so, and we're just kind of twiddling their thumbs, waiting <laughs> waiting to release the car. So I guess that also promotes them not going crazy with the, the setup to, to be able to do it. So, mm-hmm. um, because like I, I mean, we've seen at uh, Le Mans, um, I got to hang out in the Corvette racing pits a few years ago and watch them do uh, one of the uh, brake changes. And yeah, they just, they rolled the car in and like a few, you know, flurry of people descend on it. And then like a minute later it was, it was right back out. Right. So yeah. they just replaced the whole rotor caliper assembly. It's all dry braked and it's really cool. Like the way they have it. Um, not cheap, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. but awesome to see it because yeah, like, yeah i mean like you said it's caliper rotor pads like that whole assembly is just off back on you know yeah like the the whole rotor is floating so basically the only thing holding it on is the brake caliper is at least the, the, and the wheel of course right um so as soon Most as you take the wheel, the wheel off and undo the brake caliper bolts it's just all come it just slides right off right so it's a dry brake so um I guess I assume everybody knows what that is, but uh, you won't need to re-bleed the lines, essentially, and then it'll be mm-hmm. your two caliper bolts. So yeah. there's no tool for the dry brake. You just, you know, pull one end and pull it apart. So yeah, pretty so quick. Just, yeah, it's it's pretty sweet to see. But, of course, like those little high-pressure dry brakes, uh, they'll, they'll cost you just each, just each one side of that fitting, like, let alone the, the pair and the four <laughs> <Right>. of them. <laughs> yeah. And then you got to have the spares sitting on your, you know, mm-hmm. calipers that are ready to go or the ones that just came off. Um, yep. 
yeah, all that stuff just adds up, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so I guess yeah, they didn't want LMP three teams to have to invest in that. So that's that was good to see. I think it was a good good idea for that. Um, and you know, add a little bit of strategy to it when you wanted to try to get a yellow in order to do that pit stop, and you wanted to make sure it was a longer one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was. I thought that was interesting, but, uh, but yeah, so Riley ended up taking the lead by, by three laps or so. So it was a pretty decisive, uh, victory. So, um, and then in LMP2, uh, I think this was was shaping up to be a, uh, a pretty, I mean, much, much kind of better attended race than, than previous years. Um, but there's a lot of LMP2 teams that uh, kind of were out early. Um, a few of them within the first, uh, looks like few, first four hours or so, there was at least three of them gone. Um, they just kind of some incidents, some some crashes, some uh, failures. But uh, so it wasn't, so that, that kind of thinned out the field a little bit. But uh, ultimately... The uh, Era Motorsport team ended up taking the win with their uh, uh, crayon uh, livery car. Uh, it sounded like uh, they told the story on the the broadcast. Uh, basically, they they sent, had like a contest for you know someone to. It was to you know have have fans try to color the car, and they had a, I believe a six year old kid. Uh, color it and uh and that's the one that's the the design that won so it got some attention there but um but yeah so aero motorsport took the win with tower motorsport in second it it was pretty tight for a while they were only like they were seconds apart for a a, a long time then there was i think there might have been a penalty for era and then there was a penalty for tower so they just kind of kept trading off and then eventually it looked like tower might squeak it out, but they had to, they had to pit with like 10 minutes to go. So they were trying to, they were hoping for a caution. Yeah. Um, and then, and then drag it speed, uh, to uh, finish third to finish out the podium there. Um, so that, that brings us to the top class DPI. Um, that was, it was a, I'd say a very good race this year. It, as we kind of talked about in the last episode, a lot of kind of musical chairs for teams and cars and drivers. So uh, the the Konica Minolta car, which was always it's been a Cadillac or a GM product for so many years. I I think they they were saying like eighteen years or something, and, and this year they got the Acura uh, DPI car. Um, and yeah, they they ended up getting getting the win. It was it was pretty close at the end. The uh, the Chip Ganassi Cadillac, uh, which is new for this season, uh, were giving them a run for the money. They were they were kind of running them down at the end there, and then just had a catastrophic tire failure, like with I think like eight minutes to go. So yeah, it sucks. It kind of. It kind of spoiled a, a dramatic finish. Uh, I guess it was still dramatic, but not in the the way I guess we would have wanted. Um, but yeah, there were but there were five uh, five cars on the lead lap, which I think they said was a, a new record for the Daytona Twenty Four, having 
the for the for fighting for the you know the overall lead having five cars in the lead lap so um no so that meant some some good racing so yeah it was and second ended up being the ally cadillac of uh action express um and they uh they were they were close they they ended up passing the the mazda kind of with a few laps to go to to get second uh the the mazda was was down several laps kind of uh at least like kind of halfway through the race or so but they slowly kind of worked their way back up took advantage of the cautions and were able to get a podium so that's that's always good to see they in the past they've had a lot of reliability issues so seeing them finish the full 24 is good to see yeah it's nice especially having only one car so um and then in fourth was the other acura from uh meyer shank racing and and fifth was uh the chip ganassi car after recovering from that uh tire failure so pretty good race i uh it it seems like every year it's the 10 car the 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 Wayne Taylor racing car that, that seems to take it. It's, and it doesn't, I guess it doesn't matter if it's a Cadillac or an Acura. They just, uh, <laughs> they're always up there. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that speaks volumes for the team, right? Yeah. So, uh, it, it, it was, it was interesting seeing the, the different, the different cars definitely had their strengths in different areas. The, the Acura seemed to be the best kind of all rounder at good, good enough straight line speed to hold off passes, but, but enough to do passes and then the infield was still good but not as good as the Cadillacs it seemed like the Cadillacs were had seemed like the the good infield pace and very good kind of grunt off the corners Mm -hmm. uh, but then would top out really early Um, and then the Mazda was kind of the 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 top speed king it looked like uh, with and then kind of not enough drive off the corners though so like they're their kind of average speed would be similar to other cars on the straights, but, but they'd start slow and end fast. So it, it made for potentially they get caught at the beginning of the straight or get passed and then kind of all of a sudden hit the, hit the NOS button towards the end and then kind of work their way back around. But once, once they got passed, it was, it was hard for them, I think, to kind of keep the draft. Um, which was also interesting. Uh, one of the, it was, I believe, Ricky Taylor when he got out of the ten car with like an hour and a half to go. He made a comment of, uh, it was, it was, it was very windy at that point, and it was a, a headwind going down, like uh, going through the the kind of uh, from the uh, kind of through the oval down the, I guess, front straight. You could say, um, uh, cross around the start finish line. Like it was, it was a headwind going through there, and because of that. Uh, the draft became like super powered, like so. As, any as soon as you got in the draft, like it was like slingshotting cars past. So I thought that was pretty interesting, and it seemed to help the Mazdas for a little bit, uh, as well as the Acura, and then hurt the Cadillac because uh, they couldn't. They just didn't really have the top end, and um, potentially they could have been maybe gear limited too, because uh, usually the uh, the way the rear ends, the kind of the transmissions work is they have a, what they call quick change gears in the, in the, uh, transmission, mm-hmm. um, which are like two spur gears that have different ratios so they can quickly change kind of their final drive on the fly. And based on that, that's where they set their, their top gear in order to have good kind of straight line speed. So, you know, if they, if they go too, 
if they go too long on the ratio, basically, uh, then they just they lose some of that acceleration, as well as uh, uh, so so maybe they can't even get to their top speed. And then of course, if they're too short on it, then it's just banging off the rev limiter. So right. Um, which which actually uh, uh, one thing I thought was interesting one year was I believe it was Chip Ganassi. Yep. Few year, few years back, they they got the ratio wrong during the race. So like the first pit stop, they came in and they changed their their final drive ratio during the race. Uh, I went like three laps down, but uh, because it's twenty four, and especially with uh, the way IMSA does wave buys on cautions and everything, uh, they they were back up there like six hours in or so back on the lead lap. So. They just decided to cut their losses early, and uh, right. But if memory serves, that was a really big uh, mess. Like it's not like they were yes. a little bit off. It was really limiting yeah. the car. It was like it wasn't even like in the draft they were hitting the rev limiter. It was like just normally. So yeah. it must have been weather changed, or maybe if just someone just put the wrong ratio or something. But right. But yeah, so that I always thought that was interesting, but. Um, but yeah, so uh, Wayne Taylor racing in the Konica Minolta Acura, taking the win again, uh, I guess, but new to the Acura, uh, normally in a Cadillac. So yeah, yeah, it was it was a good one though. It was a good way to start off the 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 racing season, I think. And uh, um, yeah, I guess um, we also were took a look, took a look at the uh, the Michelin Pilot uh, Challenge race. Um, which was the the day before. Um, so normally, uh, in the past, you would have uh, supported the the Volt Racing team, but uh, this year sounds like uh, just taking a taking a bit of a, a break at least. Yeah, you know, um, I guess I was I was hit with the realization that um, allocating all of my time, uh, and I do mean all of my time at the beginning of the year wasn't beneficial. Um, you know, like if I'm using all my available time from my normal job to go help uh, the race team, it leaves me zero opportunity to uh, help anyone should the need arise. And uh, so, yeah, I guess I, I told them this year that I, I just can't do it because, you know, I guess life so yeah but yeah previously and last year i did help them and so i mean you're telling me that uh yeah, you're looking also to try to do some racing yourself i mean we I think we talked about it a little bit yeah i mean uh, in the first you know, very first episode but yeah by some sort of tragic coincidence seems like every track event like whether it's a amateur race or you know a track day uh, which obviously is at a much lower level based on our tier, um, is the same weekend as a real race. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just a hindrance to, you know, uh, also what I want to do. Because um, I want to race. I like racing. I want to do more racing. So I just yeah need that availability. Yeah, so... Uh, but but yeah, so it's the the pilot challenge race is uh, the, I believe the longest race of the year, four hours for them. 
Um, and yeah, it was, it was pretty good, uh, for both GS and TCR. The, uh, there were some good scraps at the very end. There was kind of, everyone got uh, bunched up for a caution with, I think they let it, it went green again with like four minutes to go. So it was a big sprint to the finish and the McLaren kind of got around everyone at the very end there and, uh, took the win. They, they've always been strong at Daytona. They, they just seem to have very good straight line they speed. They really do. Uh, if they manage to not blow up, they're uh, pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, then behind them was a swarm of BMWs, uh, four BMW M4s, uh, two Turner Motorsports, Bimmer World, and uh, uh, Stephen Cameron Racing uh, BMW. So, uh, and then next was a, uh, a Camaro, and then uh, kind of one of the cars we were looking at, uh, the Riley Motorsports Supra, uh, the first time for the Supra to be racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up seventh. So, yeah, they uh, kind of keeping an eye out on them. I was uh, watching them towards the end because they were up as high as third at one point. Uh, they seemed to have very good pace in the infield, but just did not have the top end to, to really compete for the win. So, uh, Which is honestly like a little surprising to me because it's a, uh, it's a turbo car. So, like, one of the methods of uh, BOP that IMSA has is well, they call it a power stick but it's effectively just a different tune mm-hmm. and it's not even like an in-depth tune I mean it's it's a complete tune but effectively you're just holding more boost right so yeah. you have more power it's a stick and it gives you more power um, so it is interesting when you see someone with a turbo car that far behind it's just Seems like a missing uh, BOP, you know. Yeah. But. So I guess either, so yeah, pending any BOP changes, either maybe we see them yeah, get a little more top end, or maybe the car's just like a, a short track special where, like, yeah, I think Mid Ohio's next. Uh, well, after Sebring. Yeah, after Sebring. Um, which Sebring, you know, uh, we, we talked a little bit about McPherson and over the bumps, it might be a little tricky. Mm hmm. Um, but, uh, pending any kind of inherent suspension issues just from the design, uh, they could be pretty good there. And then I think very fast at the, at the next event, uh, at mid Ohio, I think that they'd definitely be the ones to look out for there. But, uh, but yeah, still a, a good, a good result for them. I think they started pretty far back. So, um, yeah, it's good, good performance by the, the new car in the series. So. We'll see if anyone else kind of picks those up. Uh, I guess kind of surprising to not see towards the front were the Audis. They're usually, I believe they won the championship last year. No, it was the Aston that won the championship last year, right? The uh, the core, not the core, uh, uh, automatic racing, I think. Automatic racing, Aston Martin. Uh, but the... The Audi was up there the whole season, but yeah, they yeah they, they were they had good second, pace, I believe. Yeah, they they had good pace. Seemed like early race, but then kind of fall fell back a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, and then the the Porsches. I think both of them actually are the BGB Motorsports Porsche didn't finish, and then the Wright Motorsports one didn't even start. So. Ouch. Uh, which I think was related to the the Hardwick uh, incident. So since they didn't start, I'm, I'm guessing it happened sometime in practice or qualifying for one of the either the Daytona 24 or the the Pilot Challenge. So right, 
So, so yeah, so, uh, and then the, the forwards, the, the best pla placing forward was 10th, uh, and the, uh, best placing Mercedes was 8th with, uh, Windward Racing, who ended up winning the, the big one, the big 24, so, um, I guess it just goes to show the, the level of competition here, too. I mean, it's the team that did really well at the 24 also you know, wasn't able to get top five at Pilot Challenge. So Yeah, well, uh, an interesting note, um, at least I think, is, um, you know, if you look at uh, GT3 cars, you know, uh, I think WEC mm -hmm. is probably the gold standard for racing, um, at least around the world. But um, I was talking to one of the engineers um, that Wright uh, partnered with, or not Wright, sorry, uh, Winward, uh, one of the Mercedes engineers that they partnered with. And he was telling me he thought that uh, for GT4 competition, uh, this was the closest you can get anywhere, right? So hmm. while WEC might be the standard for the higher levels elsewhere, um, you know, it seems to be a a very tight field so yeah and it's it's also a pretty big field like I, i've watched a little bit of the european uh yeah you know they they and they support yeah some of the wc races and everything the european gt4 championship and uh yeah it's 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 usually fewer cars and yeah, it just it seems like a little less competition so it's good to see i mean this is a seems like a sweet spot because it's the cars are are seem to be pretty fast you know they're they're you know fast enough to to be interesting to drive for for these uh uh amateur and you know team owners and everything that come in and and then with it being you know you know silver and bronze drivers only it you know it allows for more newer or people with financial backing to get just jump in there and, and get some good racing in so yeah it yeah it shows in 24 entries which is pretty good for a single class so uh, i guess 25 entries if you include the right car uh, but uh but yeah so it was a, it was a pretty good race it was went right down to the end um yeah so we'll be looking out for you know those races in the in the future i imagine maybe not as many teams will do the next uh the next event but i guess we'll see we'll keep an eye out on it Usually Daytona's kind of... Yeah, Daytona's pretty big. Lots of people show up just because they want to do it, and it kind of shrinks from there. But still, generally, the GT4 field is pretty big. So, yeah. yeah we'll so. see. Um, and then uh, I believe your uh, your your boys, the, the Volt Racing team with Archangel, uh, they had some issues. It, it looked like uh, Brynjolfsson might have had a slight tap with the wall. Um, I'm guessing coming onto the trioval, um, and it, I believe they, they changed a the tire, but then came right back in for a tie rod change. So, yep. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Um, yeah, hard weekend for them. Uh, a lot of work, a lot of good effort, uh, from the team, but, um, we had an engine problem, uh, initially. So then they got a, uh, vehicle from another team to race and then after that touch um you know they pit and then they realized they had a bent tie rod um and so they had to pull it in the grass to change it and that puts you pretty far down so 
Yeah, and you know, in between that and getting taken out under yellow in the in the prototype challenge race, just not not the best weekend. Yeah, yeah, that too. I mean, that's that's also frustrating. Is uh, you know a lot of a lot of things that were beyond their control, um, and good work and good effort by the team. But you know, you know, sort of as you said before, that's racing. You know, you, it happens, but it's it makes for a rough two weeks. You know. Yeah for sure so uh but but yeah so that was uh that was unfortunate to see but i imagine they'll they'll rebound uh they had a pretty strong uh, you guys had a strong performance last year at sebring which ended up being the last race of the season where it's the second one this season uh well we went to Uh, sebring twice oh that's it was the last race of the season but it was also the second well (laughs) kind of the second um it was the second for us WeatherTech had a round two at Daytona. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the, we were at Sebring a couple times. And I mean, it's honestly, you know, although I am a fantastic individual to have on your race team, <clears throat> anybody listening, uh, <laughs> I will come help your crap can, you know, amateur race team. Uh, it, you know, even even with me not being there, I have I have faith in them. They're 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 a good team, and uh, when there weren't incidents, they finished well. You know, uh, yeah. you know sometimes there is some heartbreak. You know, like Mid Ohio last year it was a double header. Both races there was incidents, right? Yeah, and it's like we had a good car for it, a good setup, we were ready to go. Um, but when things didn't happen. They did well, and uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing what they can do this year. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that, I guess that brings us to the TCR cars. Um, uh, that one was uh, there was there was some very good racing going on until, I mean, the whole the whole race for sure. But uh, but there was a kind of a triple incident where three cars got taken out. Um, uh, I believe is one of the. Atlanta Speedworks Hondas, as well as uh, the Alfa Romeo, the the sole Alfa Romeo, and then one of the Audis, I believe. Uh, all all were very quick up at, at the front, and it was second, third, and fourth. But there is an incident in the bus stop, and they basically all all took each other out. So that kind of paved the way for um, what it looked like to be Atlanta Speedworks and the other Honda Civic to just run away with it. But a a late caution allowed the uh, the Unitronic JDC Miller Audi uh, RS3 to, to rocket past them on the restart, and he ended up taking the taking the win. It was mm-hmm. a pretty good race there, and then and then a pack of of Hyundai's behind the two. Yeah, they didn't they didn't seem to have the pace uh, of the uh, Audis and the Honda and the uh, Alfa Romeo until until that met its demise, unfortunately. But uh, but they were all just kind of picking up the scraps basically so they the michael johnson racing uh, hyundai ended up third so um and then there was a uh, one car we were kind of paying attention to the uh rockwell autosport development audi um i i know one of the uh i know one of the guys that uh that's crewing for them right now um as well if I, i've raced with uh uh Alex Rockwell's son uh, Eric at the in a champ car race before, so 
you know, it's seen they they made their IMSA, you know, pro racing debut, um, running in the the TCR class, and they you know they they started out in I think it was ninth, and kind of worked their way up through kind of pit strategy as well as uh, you know staying out of trouble and everything. They worked their way up to third, I think, highest, but uh, I think they kind of fell off mid race, and then unfortunately had a big incident going into turn three. It looked like a brake failure. I'm not. They didn't. Nothing was kind of confirmed there, but it didn't look normal. It didn't look like uh, just a kind of outbreaking yourself and getting a little wrong. It it seemed like the the car just didn't even start to slow down. So yeah, yeah. I didn't see it as it happened, but uh, I saw the the end, and it, it did look like a big incident. Yeah. So that was unfortunate to see. Uh, I believe uh, Nelson Canace, uh He. Uh, ended up with a, a, a wrist fracture, so that no one wants to see that. Um, but he did at least walk. He walked away from it, just not unscathed. But uh, but still, it was a very big hit. So that was a little scary to see. Um, but hopefully, they'll they'll rebound and uh, you know get get back uh, get back in there and and go for some some good results. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm sure he will. You know. It's a uh, uh, good and bad thing about racing is it's pretty addicting. So it's pretty easy to want to want to get back in the game, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think after uh, I'm just still quick anecdote. I, I think after I had a like my my biggest whoops on two wheels uh, and. To be fair, I'm an idiot, and I didn't realize this until the end of the day that I should have just packed up. But fixed the bike, went back out. You know, um, it's it's just the standard thing, right? You want to be you want to be on track, and if you can keep moving, you'll do it. So I have faith in them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's it, you know, part of me is always when I look at teams like that you know teams that i might have either raced with or against and you know they make that move up up to the up to the big leagues it, it always makes me pay attention because you know i i would hope my dream of course <laughs> we all dream to one day try, try to do the same so you know if someone else can do it maybe uh, uh we can too but i mean but it also reminds you you know with the incident they have that you know like <laughs> if you do want to compete on that level, you really got to be ready to just write off a whole car. And yeah, if you really, if you really want to run a full season. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think the base rule is never take anything to the track that you're not willing to lose entirely. Yeah. And that holds true no matter how expensive your car gets, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be awesome to be up there, but, yeah, you know, it's not just being able to buy a real race car. It's, you know, affording that racing is a different level entirely. Yeah, it's a whole different level. Right. Um, but, yeah, I guess speaking of, uh, I guess, good advice, uh, kind of as we were talking about the earlier, we were talking about the results of this race and everything. Uh, you know, we were just kind of talking about what different strategies the teams used to to, to kind of finish where they did and uh, as well as maybe strategies that uh, either can be also used in kind of amateur level like uh, 
you know, Champ Car, AR, WRL, Lemons, uh, even, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about like different strategies and maybe kind of tech tips uh, you could try to to use to improve your your finishes. But um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, so first of all, have a lot of money. Go buy some air guns, air jacks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> not really. That's not, Full crew. That's, yeah, that's not our tech tip. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, of course. There's, as far as like race strategy, a lot of it is going to depend uh, on your kind of your series rules. So, I mean, I, I mean, I, first, I think it'll entirely depend on that, you know, yes. really is you see these huge swings um, and lot, lots of series are kind of similar. But, you know, if you uh, there's a series called the 24 hour series. Um, yep. And part of their their shtick, I guess, is that there's no fueling on pit lane. There's no, mm -hmm. you, your car drives out of pit at a very low speed. So low that our GT3 car, when I was there, couldn't do that with the pit <laughs> limiter, right? I think it was like 25 kph. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the drivers are, like the last gen um, GT3 car had a clutch pedal. So they're playing with that, just trying to keep the car moving slow enough. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you have to drive really far and then you have to go to a, it's kind of cool how it was set up, but you go to a gas pump, uh, literally, it was a gas pump. <laughs> and then, you know, you drive back, um, you know, when your fuel stop adds, you know, three minutes just getting to and from the pumps, it's way mm -hmm. different than what you can get away yeah. with in IMSA, which is different than WEC and right. That's yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause that's very reminiscent of the 24 hours of lemons, uh, set up where at most tracks you, you kind of, you refuel in the pit lane, but you, you do your own refueling. But in this case, it was just like you drive off and let's go to the gas station basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it it's, it allows for the teams to not spend on fuel rigs and everything, you know. It, it, yeah. Well, I mean, you know. that specifically, I thought was really cool that they sold it as a safety thing. Um, mm. I thought it was just a cool change in strategy. And then there was lots of teams using handheld, uh, just generic. Uh, well, not really generic, but Milwaukee or Makita impact guns. Mm. Cause you can't do that yeah. in any series. Um, or no, I'm not aware of any series that'll let you do that. That has fueling on pit road because they're worried about oh, electricity okay, yeah. and gas. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're not, if there's no fuel there, you know, just go for it. So it was, yeah, it was kind of the wild west. If when you weren't getting fuel, which is kind of funny. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I never, I never, I never thought about that having the electric power tools combined with fuel vapors. Mm -hmm. That could definitely not be good. And I guess that that helps explain, uh, like say say with Champ Car, you can't do uh, refueling and work on the car at the same time. So that's that's how that series avoids those kind of incidents. But in this case, you had the fueling and the tire changes in completely separate areas. So yep, 
So yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that. I, I I did actually always wonder why the pros. I mean, I I just assumed the pros didn't use electric impacts because they can have, you know, baller, super high speed, <laughs> some paoli guns. air guns. Yeah. Um, but I, I was just curious, like. Uh, yeah, I uh, think. But yeah, that that explains it. You might be able to make an argument, like so. Obviously, uh, try not to get too in the weeds here, but you know, the air guns are gonna move faster right mm -hmm. you're gonna have more impacts per minute uh but dealing right that adds a lot of headache um so you could yeah. probably make an argument that an electric gun would be better even if it, you know take the nuts off probably honestly not even a tenth of a second slower um but still slower mm -hmm. um you know i, I think that that trade-off's probably a whole argument on its own, but you can't even have that argument for most series. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, so that, I mean, I guess that kind of, all of that leads us to, like, I guess our first tip, and that's read, <laughs> memorize read your them. rules. Uh, memorize them. Have them on hand. Be ready to to... You know, read them, and the more you're familiarized with yourself with them, then the more you can look for kind of loopholes or, you know, areas to to not really exploit, but use the rules to their full yeah, potential. Mean, honestly, that's um, that's the story of motorsports is finding loopholes and, quite frankly, exploiting them. Right. That's that's uh, I mean, that's how you do it. Yeah. And I I personally feel that you should understand the rules going into a race. You should understand them well enough like you're preparing to go argue with an official right you should know them in and out yes so yeah and if some volunteer dude on pit says something to you you're ready to go you know yeah which uh, that can sometimes not work out and sometimes it does but yeah be ready to to defend that position if if you're just coming from like well, but yeah, uh, know but what this you're and doing, that and you know that, and then, yeah, is all written in the, in the rules. rules then you know, have them point to the rule book. So, yeah, it's exactly, and yeah, and and just yeah, the different rule sets are really going to dictate uh, kind of how your pit strategy is going to mm -hmm. kind of play out. Um, like uh, I guess one example is uh, racing in twenty four hours of lemons versus champ car. Uh, has very different kind of strategy the in lemons there's no minimum fuel time or minimum pit stop time when refueling so uh and there's also no limit really on fuel systems there's just a capacity limit but you can you can go all out on giant uh you know uh not really fuel rigs but uh you know fuel cells with really large uh inlet hoses and everything mm -hmm. and, and nice hunsaker jugs uh and those guys can fuel their cars super fast, and that's a big advantage because, really, in any in any motorsport, any racing, uh, yeah, if you can gain seconds or even in this case potentially minutes in the pit lane, that's it's a lot easier than right. than gaining well, a second in, on uh, the track. Uh, it's not quite the same in amateur racing, but the easy way to think about it is in a class like GT4 or whatever, where all the cars are supposed to be similar you're fighting for tenths of a second, mm -hmm. right? Fighting for them. Yeah. So if you can get a couple seconds in pit, that's huge. It's phenomenal, you know? 
And then, oh yeah, you know that may not apply to the whole chump car paddock, um, but all the guys near the pointy end are running similar lap times, right? So same idea. Mm-hmm. Everything you can get in pit, you take. Yeah, definitely. And and then you know the that the strategy changes though for champ car because uh, they have a five minute minimum pit stop when you're refueling and. Uh, so most teams can do that fueling and and well under that five minutes, but that's also kind of part of the strategy. One, you have to make sure you can do that because you're just leaving time mm-hmm. on the on the table if you're not. And then on top of that, the faster you can do that fueling, uh, the more time it leaves for maybe tire changes or uh, checking right. the oil, that kind of stuff. Uh, checking lug torques. Yeah, I mean, checking the, tire pressures. I think so. in that series, um, you should still be trying to get that done as fast as you can. For exactly the reason you mentioned, you know, yeah. there's a lot to check on the car and, you know, you don't see pro teams do it because, um, well, sometimes they are and you just don't notice, um, you know, like lots of GT3 cars have a tiny little readout for oil level, you know, and they have those pressurized canisters mm-hmm. and all that cool stuff. Um, yeah. But, you know, they, they don't spend extra time in the pits because they don't have a limit but if you do you know there's really no excuse then for stupid mistakes um you know you if you have the time to check over it yeah do it Um, and you want to give yourself that time right because if you use the full five minutes fueling the car and you didn't realize that you're you know you were down to three quarts or two quarts of oil uh, you could have if you were faster Mm -hmm. with fuel you know yeah yeah so yeah not only can it kind of give you that advantage it can yeah prevent failures and and then also be a little safer which is why they have those those limits safety and i guess a little bit of cost you know prevent teams with full pit crews and everything coming in and getting big advantages so it it, it's twofold there and then the i believe wrl na are both three minute minimums i think wrl might have no minimum i'm not sure um but I know AR has at least last time I checked was three minutes, so a bit faster. So you have to get your fueling done a little bit quicker if you want to do anything else. Um, but uh, but yeah, little uh, right. But still, kind of the same idea. Yeah, well, and those uh, those minimum fuel times too. Just point out a, to point out a difference in strategy, like we're talking about, right? Um, if you're an IMSA and mm-hmm. you're coming in for tires. Whatever reason it is, right? You got a puncture, you got, you know, it's just the end of the tires, you know, they're falling off too much, whatever. Fill the car, right? You're there. Even if it's only a Mm -hmm. splash, right? Like, even if it's not part of your planned fuel stop, you can fill. Yeah. The car's there. It stopped getting tires changed. Fill it. Whereas in this 24 hour series, yeah. or trump car um you know that mandatory added minimum time whether it's because you have to drive to some fuel tanks at 25 kph or they just give you a kitchen timer with five minutes on it <laughs> um you know feeling can be a, yeah. a detriment so you know it, it i guess that's just an example of what we're talking about with different strategy and understanding it you know is one layout yeah always fill the car the other one you know maybe not 
Yeah. And yeah, I guess speaking of the, the pros, uh, one strategy they employed at uh, Daytona at the end there, uh, when there was a pretty tight race between the Mazda, the Cadillac, and the Acura was uh, the at least uh, two of the Cadillacs, the Ally Cadillac and the uh, Chip Ganassi Cadillac. They both came in kind of early to, to make the kind of all of them had two more stops to go. Uh, they decided to the Cadillacs decided to kind of split it up into even chunks. It was going to, they weren't going to be able to stretch it to do it on just one more. Uh, so instead they kind of short, short filled it, kind of did a quick stop early and that jumped them ahead, uh, kind of leapfrogged them ahead of the Acura. Uh, but then on the other end, the Acura had a short fill for the last one. So they were able to kind of leapfrog them back. So, uh, but you know, but then at the same time, it allowed them to do, uh, on that, when, when the Cadillac short filled, allowed them to get out there on fresh tires and kind of undercut uh, the Cadillac to try to also get more pace just from the car itself. Um, so in, in pro racing, there's the, the, the strategy definitely needs to be very kind of tight. It needs to be very planned out. Um, and in IMSA specifically, it can be very tricky because uh, you actually don't want to wait for a yellow because there's always there's a full wave-by procedure and basically they won't start the pit stops until everyone's kind of stacked up. Um, like the pits close immediately as, as the, as as soon as the yellow flag flies. So, uh, because of that, they, you, you want to be the kind of the first one to do your last pit stop because that way, if a caution comes out, uh, basically what will happen is if the other team did the pit stop first, they'll be behind you, but it'll stack everyone up. Then you do your pit stop and then you end up behind them basically for the, that kind of last sprint to the finish. So. Uh, it can be very different there. Whereas with most of the amateur endurance racing I've done, you want to do everything you can to catch those cautions because when you have those minimum pit stop times, you know, five minutes while everyone's doing, you know, 30 miles an hour is a lot different than five minutes right. while everyone's doing a yeah. hundred miles an hour. So, uh, so yeah, just, but that all just kind of goes back to making sure you, uh, really keep an eye out on those rules and figuring out kind of mm-hmm. what the best strategy should be for you. Um, uh, kind of another strategy I've noticed um, for uh, other race series as well as uh, IMSA some of the time. It, it depends, but really I just see some teams, at least early in, earlier in long endurance races, just taking basically every caution possible because there's just so little penalty in it kind of moves that last stop maybe a little closer to to maybe if if there's no cautions towards the end of the race it it maybe affords you to to skip that like one extra pit stop at the end yeah pretty much you the general hand wave right um so this is not always true you know it's situation specific but is um taking care of everything now so you can have as short a stop as possible at the end, right? Yes. And then if you can take advantage of yellows, you do it, you know. Um, but since you can't really predict the future, you just push everything off as late as possible. If you get the yellow, that's great. And you just hedge your bets on trying to get that short stop at the end. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's definitely one a good strategy to to try to use. Um, 
I guess another kind of talking pros and maybe also applicable to, to kind of amateur level. Um, but especially in the pro kind of pro am classes, uh, one thing that's pretty common to see is, uh, teams will qualify and start with their, you know, kind of amateur or, you know, paying or, uh, kind of a gentleman driver, uh, in order to, assuming that will be a caution at some point where they can swap them out and it kind of stacks everyone back up and they can put their, their top driver in at the end. And then it's, you know, it gives them the best chance to kind of fight, especially if everyone else has their top drivers. So right. that's, that's a pretty common strategy. It is. Um, it's worth noting though, that, uh, you know, for some series like pilot challenge this year, um, you couldn't, there was a maximum drive time. There used to just be a minimum drive time, so your amateur had to drive for at least 40 minutes. And then people would do that, and then their pro or their, you know, their paid driver would be in for three hours and 20. Mm -hmm. um, but this year they've added a maximum drive time just specifically to avoid that. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and that's... Interesting twist, I guess. Right? Yeah. Well, and if it's part of the rules, everybody has to do it. Right. If you're competitive, yes. Generally, you'd be like, uh, you know, I want to win or I want to drive, but I want to win more. Just put my pro in. But now, when everybody has to do it, it's like, oh, okay, cool. I get more drive time, and it's not, you know, hitting my team. So, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, and it, and I, and I think that that kind of. The way I kind of apply that to kind of amateur level, uh, specifically like Champ Car that I've done, uh, is I feel like it helps. It's 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 a little different. It helps I think to have not necessarily your fastest guy in first, but at least your kind of most comfortable guy, the guy that's not learning the track or the car mm -hmm. if he hasn't driven it yet. Um, get the kind of comfortable guy in because that's when everyone's really stacked up, and uh, it's going to help to 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 have them in there. I guess, but sometimes it could depend because if uh, uh, my experience in like doing uh, the Watkins Glen race uh, with Champ Car is it's it's a pretty big field, usually like 110 cars or so, and there's a lot of cautions at the beginning. So it, it might be, if you have a slower guy, it might be a good opportunity to get him in, in there and just right. drive around under caution a lot. So, you know, so that's kind of come with experience, how, how often you do different events and learn kind of the Cause that's another thing there's at least in, in champ car, um, uh, and even lemons and that, uh, that I've seen where the tracks will have specific rules, um, like, uh, in champ car in the 24 hour VIR race, VIR will do these, uh, kind of code 35s. Yep. So it'll be a purple flag and basically everyone's just supposed to go 35. Although usually what ends up happening is everyone just kind of, uh, sneaks up on the next person <laughs> behind them, whatever speed they really need to go. And, uh, and then ends up just being just kind of some guy doing 25 that's holding, you know, a big stack of people up becoming a pace car. But, but the intention is everyone's supposed to go 35 and they watch the, if you know, there's a minimum or I guess a minimum lap time that you should be doing that, you know, that would equate to 35 miles an hour. Or so, but because most people pit during these times, it's hard to kind of enforce it because you won't, you won't get a full lap through potentially sometimes won't get a, a, any full laps. It'll go back to green before you can do a full lap. So it's good to just 
keep an eye out on, on your kind of your pace and then maybe slow down towards the end. But, but anyway, that, it's just that track is different because they'll do hot pulls basically, although they're they're not really hot because you're under the code 35, but it's not a, right. a pace car situation. Um, whereas some tracks will do hot pulls, other tracks won't do hot pulls at all, and it's always anytime there's an incident like at Watkins Glen, there'll be a full course caution. So, and the pace car will come out. So, that's a, again, that's not necessarily in the rules. Maybe it'll be in the supplemental rules for the tracks, but. Uh, it's something that maybe you need to really just go out there to learn, um, which, you know, of course, experience is always going <laughs> to, is a you know, pro <laughs> tip, have a lot of experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, but hey, it just got, goes with get out there and race, you know, if, if you really want to do it, go out there and race and the more you do it, the better you get. Um, you know, we, we talk about driver mod, like that's, I mean, that's that's a that's a whole that's that's the other part of this too like you know just make it if you don't even have to worry about putting your slow guy in if all of you are fast guys so <laughs> um but yeah so uh you know knowing knowing the rules of the track even the end the series it's it's um that's why I, I find uh a good advice i try to give at least to kind of champ car teams that are looking to get into it is is if you don't want to just jump into racing, uh, at least go and volunteer for the events. You get credits towards your entry fees, and then uh, you kind of get to see what the different tracks are like, uh, what the different rules and kind of yeah. procedures are. So, and you get to watch kind of the the top teams and see how they do their pit stops and try to get some, you know, some free advice basically. So, um, that's definitely a good way to go. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean, but as far as, uh, you know, drivers and, and, and which one to put in when, I mean, a lot of times people will save definitely in the pros. They always put their kind of best guy, their, uh, yeah. their ringer in. So, yeah, if there's a big battle to be had at the end that obviously they're, you know, caution, if a caution stacks everyone up, they want their fastest guy in there. So, yeah, that's, that's very common strategy on, on kind of all levels of motorsports. So nothing nothing revolutionary there but uh but you know just th know that you know if you are at the end of a race even if it's in champ car maybe you're, you're going to be racing against some of the teams as top guys too right. so that's like one thing to look out for um but uh, uh but yeah i mean uh as far as kind of more i guess an another thing to kind of look out for and is uh, minimizing penalties <laughs> and it's kind of another uh, related to the rules as well as uh, experience and everything but you know penalties are usually if penalties and crashes are, are really what end or at least hinder most uh, good good runs in a race and uh, keeping it clean which hopefully also keeps yeah, to the penalty box as well as was avoiding those pass under yellows that that could be a big one too um that's going to be a huge advantage there right so it's, it's definitely something to look out for <laughs> you know be very when you if you've never been to a track uh, kind of the first time out there play, play try to pay a really close attention to where all the uh the flag stations are um and just uh yeah, just kind of have a mental note of them and, and just try to check them every time you go by and, and that can easily help you a, a lot there. Um, and then 
another one that I feel like a lot of uh, amateur teams don't take advantage of is uh, radios. Um, I don't see really every team with a radio, which I feel like is kind of mandatory. If if you want to make really any strategy calls in order to bring your driver in, that's not, you know, because if you don't have a radio, you really just have to either you need a pit board or you just need to tell them like, Hey, come in at this time and have a clock. Yeah, I mean, honestly, or, or something. Um, so I think radios are, are huge. Um, you know, and, and this is outside of the, uh, pro world, right? Because every, every pro team has one. It's, it's not even a question. Um, you know, and, and yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess just moving past things that you might hear in a, a driver meeting. This is uh it's huge. Um, you, and you, you want a two way, right? Like it, it's nice to be able to tell your driver what to do. Um, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. they'll either zone out or be too red misty to look at, uh, a pit board or a clock. Um, but communication goes both ways, right? If they're feeling something weird yeah. and they're going to pit, you know, they want to be able to tell you and you want to be able to hear it. Right. Um, and that's how you're ready. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it takes a lot more stress to legitimately be ready to go at any second for eight hours. Right. Cause then you're at pit. Yeah. Yeah. Ready. And it, it yeah, it sucks. And you're hot. Yeah, it, it absolutely hot sucks. And, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, this will make your life uh, easier, but, you know, um, it could potentially help you avoid any pit stops you didn't need, right? If the driver's feeling something and, you know, it's just a weird thing that's maybe you know about your car that they don't or, um, you know, you know it's something that can wait. So you're going to tell them to drive through it, whatever it is. It might be able to help you avoid an extra pit stop. Um, you know, I mean, just communication is key. And I, I hate sounding like, you know, what you probably hear your normal fucking nine to five job. Um, but really, it's it's huge. <laughs> um, so I, I totally agree. Radios are, are very important. You know, I mean, I remember... Um, uh, when we were racing a long time ago, uh, the, uh, I think it was our first race together in Lemons. Um, people were ready like 95% of the time. The When I was driving the car through a belt in that 5%, right? Pulled up to our pit. Uh, <laughs> someone was in the bathroom. Two no, other people no were getting there. food. And the fourth person was trying to watch me in the stands. Uh, he, I guess he didn't see me come in or he didn't. He started like hauling ass down. Um, so when I don't see anybody and I'm, I get out of the car and start changing the belt, right? Um, you know, it very easily could have been avoided uh, with radios. So. Yeah. And that's, that's also where it could be a, an advantage to have, you know, radio for every, every crew, every person on the team. So they, they can right. go to the bathroom and still hear anything. And I mean, you know, they're still in the bathroom, so they have to run back, but you know, they know to run back or, and, and I think as a driver, it also, it, it helps to communicate more. I know I forget sometimes, like I have an issue and I, I'll just go right mm-hmm. into the pits without really talking to anyone. Like, 
just as soon as something happening, maybe start talking through it. Uh, I mean, sometimes being on the pit wall a lot, uh, it'll really stress me out when people start, oh, there's a, there's a vibration. Like maybe it's really not that bad. Like some people are more sensitive than others or maybe it's been going on the whole race and just it, it's not a new vibration but it can start to really stress you out you worry about kind of bring him in but but right. still having that communication is good uh you know letting him know that okay guys i, I think i just have yeah. to bring it well, in so that they're like, ready i mean just specifically on the vibration thing that's in amateur racing that's something i've seen a lot right is yeah these cars are not really meant for what they're doing and the car is starting to degrade and it's fine but you know everybody's in a rush in the pits, uh, when they do the driver change and then your driver goes out and they're so pumped, uh, you know, whether it's adrenaline or just whatever they're going and they don't notice anything because they're just, you know, it's a lot to go from zero to driver change, wheel to wheel racing now, you know, and then all of a sudden they notice the vibration yeah. 25 minutes in, they think it's new. And then here you could have mm -hmm. the other driver. Just saying, nah, dog. That's it's been happening, you know. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it sometimes there it, there is a new vibration, and the driver's yeah. like, "Oh yeah, the car always shakes." But so it's, but but just having that conversation though allows you to to try to troubleshoot that before just right. coming in and and wasting a pit stop. Um, and I guess another uh, another thing I I started doing a while back that I found that I hope was helpful to my team is whenever there is an incident, uh, you know, depending on the track, like I said, it can be hot pools or, or a full, full course caution every time. Uh, basically whatever I saw a car off or an incident as I'm driving by, I, I let them know when I'm going by it, where it is as well as kind of how severe it looks like, because that can really help you, uh, say like at Watkins Glen, for example, uh, which, they always do full course cautions whenever they need to pick up a car. Uh, but, you know, if the car is not crashed and it's just kind of sitting on the straights, maybe they wait a little bit. Maybe they wait for another car to break down or or just to get everyone kind of in position. But um, but like with an incident like that where the car does, it looks fine, but it's just not running, that can probably be a quick pull. Uh, whereas if you see, you know, parts everywhere uh, at the end of, you know, the, in the bus stop or something like Maybe that you know that one's gonna be probably a long caution, so maybe that's when you wanna come right. in and do your do your pitch. Yeah, then you can so, tell your guys to get ready. Yeah. And help them make that decision to if they want to take that pit stop now. Cause, you know, if you can hold off that first pit stop, uh, at least in champ car where you have a two hour uh, maximum drive time for drivers, um, it can you know, it can change your strategy up where it can Maybe if you take that first stop too early, you lose the opportunity to take a caution towards the mm -hmm. end instead. So if if they know that it's going to be a long one, or at least kind of clues towards it, it can really help them make that decision or help right. you just make the decision for them. Yeah, and I mean, that, that general approach to the strategy is kind of similar to what I said about IMSA, right? You're, you hedge your bets on that last one being as short as possible, so you're delaying your pit stop. Uh, for as long as possible but yeah yeah to to open up as many avenues mm. in the strategy as possible so because like maybe maybe the team you're fighting against doesn't take that first caution and instead they take that last one and it turns out that that was the the right move you it's you know that mm -hmm. can cost you a win potentially so 
just having that conversation. I mean, I think it's, it's more, I think it's important for that driver to have the conversation with the pit. Uh, so it is sometimes there can be too much information the pit is giving to the driver. And then, I mean, they, they should be able to focus with someone talking, but yeah, you know, sometimes drivers can be a little picky with that, I guess. But right. I mean, generally if it's not important, I don't want anybody talking to me. Not like I can't focus, but like, bro, I don't, I don't care. Like if it's, if it's not important, don't, you know, as Kimmy Rackinen said, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Cause like some, some drivers, uh, they like to hear the gap to the car behind them or in front of them, you know, especially if you're, you know, racing for a, a, you know, overall, you know, podium position or something. Uh, but then other drivers don't want to hear it cause either it kind of stresses them out, makes them drive differently than they would have. Maybe you just, uh, you know, they'd rather just kind of focus on what they're doing and not what the person behind them right. is doing. Well, so. and I think there's some subconscious things there too. Cause, um, I have, I've met drivers who like it. I've met drivers who don't, or at least they say they like it and they say they don't, but I have yet to see anyone whose lap times improved by that. Every time I see someone talking to the driver, yeah, even if it's a really good driver, it only hinders them, you know? Yeah. There, there was one kind of only one time I can remember where talking to a driver and telling them like, Hey, uh, the person's kind of catching you like three seconds a lap they they sped up because they were more they just i guess thought that they were the last driver of the race so they were just trying to bring the car home and and you know it it, it didn't seem like there was really there was there wasn't much of a chance to catch the person ahead and the person behind was pretty far behind but then the the gap started coming down a lot so kind of giving them that information helped and they they started speeding up and then it it made that gap uh, kind of stabilize so but yeah, for the most part, it's, you know, racing is a big mental game for at least on the driving side. And, uh, I mean, if anything that lowers the driver's confidence right. is usually going to make them slower. So, um, it's definitely something to look out for. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess still talking kind of pit stops and everything, uh, really like practicing different things in a pit stop is, is, is also super important. I mean, you, you can see the pros, you know, between practice sessions or like the night before the race, they'll, they'll be out there practicing pit stops and everything. Um, and for them, it's, I mean, you know, there's no minimum times or anything here. So, you know, every second they could save is something they can save over the other guys. So, right. But I mean, if you don't take fuel, you know, let's say in champ car, um, same thing, right? So yeah. as fast as you same can get thing. those tires on as, as fast as you can get out of the pits. So, you know exactly and then and then yeah as we said if you can and in champ car specifically the faster you feel the more other things you can do so if you do have those five minute stops so um it's definitely something it, it can be hard for some teams that maybe have a lot of rental guys that come in kind of arrive and drive um but uh but if you can if you can try to coordinate it have them come a little earlier and uh go through everything show them you know all the tools and where everything is and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff if they need to help out. Um, and then also one, one thing I I've had some teams not really do a good job with, uh, when I arrive and drive is kind of showing you how to operate all the different parts of the car, uh, specifically like in the cockpit, like how do you turn it on? Cause some, some, some teams have some interesting ways to start a car or different systems. Uh, you know, 
uh, one car has that, that I drove had they had a reserve battery, which was really cool. But because of that, it it made you had to make sure you were on the right battery when you're starting, basically, or or basically they had a switch that you could combine the two uh, to have more kind of cranking uh, amps, and then you'd switch to I think just one of the batteries while driving. So you know, a little trickier, and then knowing what all the buttons and switches do. Sometimes, I mean, I guess from the team side it helped if you do a better job of labeling everything to make things clear. But then from the preparation side with your driver, just still, right. as long as you can show them how everything works and uh, that can be helpful too, of course. Yeah. I mean, I guess um, it always boils down to just being as fast and working as efficient as you can. So some of this stuff might sound like, you know, things for a, you might expect an elementary schooler to do like it's so basic that you just don't think about doing it you know what i mean but mm -hmm. you know I, I see so many teams that have you know they do color coding you know if there's a quick adjustment on the car they just have a giant neon circle around where they can stick that tool in you know it's, it's just mm -hmm. all comes together you know what i mean so even this Silly little stuff that you might think is stupid and not worth your time. Uh, anything to make it easier because you're trying to save as much time as you can in the pits. Um, which I guess might... Well, go ahead. Yeah, just like when, when you're under stress, when you're under duress and you're in this, you know, someone comes in, you have to fix something real quick. Like all these things can help... Uh, kind of make it more clear to people maybe you know how to do it when you're just in your in the shop working on the car and low stress but as soon as everything everyone's running on adrenaline and everything's you know something's happening that you're not ready like just being prepared you know can really help uh you know help right. yourself perform yeah under stress you yeah, know absolutely you know and and i guess that that would sort of lead into like the next um the next thing i would consider as a tip is having everything ready to go in the pit. Um, and I mean, so far, all these tips have been pit heavy, but again, that's that's because if you're racing with a close car, you're, the pits is where your biggest gains will be. You know, um, you know, a second in the pit is, you're, you're probably, if you're in a close race with someone, not gaining a tenth of a second every lap on them. Which means, you know, yeah, uh, the time it takes you to sneeze in the pit is bigger than what your driver could get in ten laps. <laughs> Which, depending on the track, is you know twenty five yeah. minutes of driving, right? Um, but having everything ready to go, you know, um, if I don't know how much attention people would pay after a pit stop, certainly the camera when you're watching a pro race doesn't really stay there, but it's a mad flurry, uh, just as much as it is during the pit stop. Cause as soon as that's done, you prep for the next one, mm -hmm. right? Cause the driver can go out and something can happen. They can get a flat on their outlet and they need to come right back in. So, you know, you're running tires up to the pit wall. Yep. Um, you know, you're resetting everything. You're making sure the guns are good to go. Um, you know, for the pros, which you don't really have this in champ car, um, but you know, you refill the fuel rig. So I guess 
just put an emphasis on making sure you're everything that you need is ready to go right so maybe you're in the bathroom and you have a radio because you listen to us and you took our advice and your driver's like ah shit i gotta come in <laughs> so you run out everything's there you know and you know i mean yeah sometimes the driver will come in and say there's a problem and you know if they say it's a vibration you don't really know what that is you know maybe you can narrow it down if they give you some more description but you know as everything you can use uh to go faster and figure it out sooner um pays huge dividends at the end so you know i, th I think that's key and yeah you know so honestly in uh in a amateur racing series i would have the tools that you need to work on the car if you've modified the car which i mean obviously you have to put a cage in it but if you've added a lot of parts i would do as much as i can to make them all similar bolt sizes you know i've seen a lot of um yep teams just use what they have lying around which is great when you're building it it's easy you know hey that bolt's on the ground use that um but if you can have two socket sizes um that'll help you when you're actually racing so then you have that those sockets the impact yeah the box and wrenches all ready to go only two sizes or three you know whatever you end up using but as minimal as possible um you know you can get black flag for body work if it looks bad like it's about to fall off so maybe have some i mean if you want to ball out have some bear bond or you know chump car equivalent a bunch of duct tape stuff together you know gorilla tape like these are things you can prep for <laughs> beforehand right so you know take a bunch of gorilla tape yeah um put on some wax paper and then put the strips over each other so you have one giant panel of gorilla tape you know and then you know, it's on wax mm -hmm. paper, so you're not going to lose the tackiness. And that's that's your poor man's bear bond. And it's ready to go. It's not something you want to be fiddling with in the pit, right? You don't want to be tearing off strips if you don't need to. It's just have everything you can possibly imagine prepared. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, quickly talking, going back to, you were talking about hardware. Uh, one thing I, I guess, one little quick tip. Uh, if you run a Japanese car, uh, they use... Uh, j uh jis bolts a japanese industrial standard uh so one thing that's a little different about them is uh for a certain thread sizes they use smaller uh kind of socket heads on them so for example um between uh basically like ansi so like us spec metric which kind of a weird thing way to say it but like the, the so ansi as well as uh din uh spec which is what you'll mostly find at like home depot uh, when you look for metric stuff there. Uh, so for example, M6 will be a 10 millimeter socket for both of those. But when you, when you find yourself with a M8 uh, thread, it'll be a 13 mil socket for, uh, ANSI and then a 12 mil socket for the, um, uh, the Japanese, uh, the JAS bolt. So, uh, if you have a Japanese car and you're, and you, uh, want to try to keep all your bolt size common, uh, you can uh, specifically McMaster is where I find them the easiest to find, but ordering those bolts when you want to add stuff to your car uh, so that you can keep that common socket size can, uh, can definitely help. Uh, 
limit the number of tools you need at the pits. And then also when you're working on it, just less yeah. hassle. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's a good point is pay attention to the, you know, maybe you're ordering all M sixes, but the saga head might change. So pay attention to what you're actually interfacing with. You know, it's a good point. Yeah. So, but yeah, so, um, I mean, yeah, so, so a lot of this you can do kind of, you know, before the race, before, you know, before you even get to the race, like a lot of these kind of tips are kind of all preparation based so that when you get into that moment, when you get on the track, uh, having fun, hopefully, uh, then everything's kind of ready to go and you can react quick and, um, and, you know, maximize your, your weekend, having your maximize your performance, like maybe you know, maybe your car doesn't have the pace that weekend, but if you can make up most of it by with strategy or maybe even get ahead because of strategy and, and good pit work and everything that can, that can be another way you can win. You don't even have to have the, the fastest car at that right. point. So, um, but yeah, there's just, uh, there's so many things you can do. There's a, another thing I just, uh, I just thought of, uh, kind of speaking of communication with, pits uh one thing maybe a little more champ car specific but like really i guess any any large field at lemons it's a little different because they they just do a random start usually but uh one thing i i like to do at the start of a champ car races is, is uh, i ask the especially if i'm like really far in the pack i'll ask the pit wall to uh tell me when the leader is kind of passing the start finish line the, the on the first warm-up lap so i kind of it gives me an idea of uh, where they're gonna uh, kind of call the green, where the you know over mm -hmm. the radio, so I can kind of be ready. Um, I found that was pretty helpful. Uh, I, I did that at Road America, so I was I was still coming out of uh, Canada Corner basically, and uh, was getting the call. Then I I was able to jump like six cars or something before I even got to the start finish. So which is which is allowed in Champ Car, not in IMSA. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, so just, yeah, good communication, good, uh, uh, just good prep and, and, you know, and over time you'll, you'll kind of learn more and more. And that's, that's why you just got to get out there and, and race. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's the same reason why you see the kind of the same teams in the weather tech series winning these, these big races, like, uh, like Wayne Taylor racing, like no matter which car they're, they're bringing, they're still winning. So, uh, it just shows it's really a testament to the team and, and of course the drivers they bring, but at that level, it's, it's almost really then that team prep, the, the setup of the car that they're able to do communication between the driver and the engineer to, to figure out how to find that setup. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess I guess we could quickly kind of talk on the on the setup side. I, I think, especially at amateur level, it's really important to have a setup that works for everyone, mm -hmm. uh, and that's easy to drive. I think uh, having just the fastest lap really isn't isn't gonna get you too far. If the next lap after that is two seconds slower, just because you either you overheated the tires or you just you push too hard and and you kind of lost focus or something. Yeah, or, you know, if you, uh, I don't know how many teams actually set up a car uh, per track, you know, in, in an amateur series, but 
if you do, uh, you know, and you set up for your hot shoe driver, um, and the car is, you know, twitchy and nervous and your, you know, your slower guy gets in, um, you know, the, the tenths that your hot shoe guy will gain will be dwarfed by the seconds your slow guy will lose. Yeah, just because he's not comfortable. Yeah. So easy to drive, especially in amateurs, is uh, is the key. Yeah, under understeer at the limit mm-hmm. makes it much easier. Um, and yeah, having a car that's just kind of consistent and and I think from a a driver perspective also just not it's you know I I know I've been I personally do it I I try to go out there and I want to I want to set the fast lap for the team or uh you know from for that session or whatever and and but it's a lot of times I've found that especially with the kind of the tires you run like a shout out to episode one of this season uh, where we talked 200 treadwear tires uh but uh a lot of times and really any tire uh if you push it too hard it'll it'll just it'll overheat and you lose you can either permanently lose performance or at least for a, a short a kind of a few laps while, while, while it kind of recovers um and just because you, you did that one lap that was a half a second faster a few tenths faster you know it might cause you to have a few you know second slower laps in a row so just having a good consistent pace um can can really be more beneficial i think you know as a as a as a team owner or leader or, or captain it, it can be good to try to promote maybe not trying to get that fast lap but either maybe trying to specify a pace or at least just kind of yeah, give an idea of what you would like to see the, the pace be uh you know make sure you let them know if you if you need them to stay off the curbs that you know that's that's been told beforehand right. stuff like that so Oh yeah, that that can always be important too. But uh, but yeah, so it's there's just there's so many different angles you can look at, uh, so many different places you can find more time, speed, efficiency. It's just uh, yeah, it's it either comes with experience or getting people around you that have experience. So, um, or or just. Uh, listening to this podcast that could basically i mean i think yeah i mean pretty much everybody listening you're ready to go uh, racing the pros so congratulations yeah yeah i think i think every episode you listen to is an automatic tenth a second no matter uh, every track i, I think I, that's what yeah, i heard I believe it. that sounds right um <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean that's but that's that's why we're here we i mean we're not uh you know we haven't won the day Rolex 24 or anything, but, uh, not yet. Uh, but we, but we've been, we basically, you know, breathe, eat and sleep racing and want to do it as much as possible and have tried to do it as much as possible to this point. So, you know, anyone maybe starting out where we just, we are going to try to help you guys out. And then maybe for the guys who, uh, have been racing for a while, maybe give you just another perspective. Right. So, uh, that's what that's what we're here for and uh, that's kind of what we want to do with this episode uh, combined with some good kind of racing result talk so yeah um but uh yeah so uh i would expect uh, we we're hoping to do 
more yeah we, we do a lot more tech focused episodes those seem to be the most popular um and sprinkle in some you know pro- professional racing results some amateur racing results uh and uh yeah well and of course uh, as as always if you look at our if you if you want to reach out to us we have our all our social medias our our instagram our facebook all at motorsports tech talk yep um you know, let us know what you want to hear. If you have uh, any questions, that kind of thing, let us know. Yeah, get at me. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, so this this episode should be going up uh, uh, Monday, the the first of February. Uh, so basically, we're planning to try to uh, kind of standardize our our release schedule. We'd like to get at least one episode out a week on Monday. Um, and then from there, we might do some bonus ones, kind of like we did last week with the the, the roar, as well as like kind of preview of the twenty four, uh, since it was kind of topical, of course, being right before the race. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so that's our that's our plan going forward. So look out for episodes on Mondays, um, and then maybe some keep keep an eye out for bonus ones. But uh, but yeah, I think that's mostly uh, going to do it for this this week's episode. Do you have anything else, Eric? Uh, no, I don't think, I don't think I have too much else, you know, drive fast, don't suck. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, if you, that's another long one. Uh, also you could let us know if you like the longer or shorter form stuff. I mean, we always really think more content is more better, but I don't know, maybe it's just a little too much rambling for you guys, or maybe you like the rambling. So uh, yeah, let us know what you think. But uh, if you made it this far, we appreciate you, and uh, and uh, yeah, we, we hope you stick around for uh, for the long haul. We'll we'll keep putting these out. So thanks yeah. again for listening, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. See you.